Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Matt Robarts and Callie McCarthy are with me to review the Orange County game and John Morrissey at USL Tactics on Twitter is here to bring the news and results from the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. I have a special segment about the US Open Cup game I attended where Sacramento Republic with the support of all USL supporters everywhere took down the favourites MLS squad Sporting Kansas City. I planned to bring you that segment this week but when I looked at the schedule and saw that Rising don't have a game next week I thought that it would make a lot of sense to move that segment to next week. It'll be in episode 70 which drops on August 23rd and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. I need to give a huge thanks to Laura Richards who came on the show last week, that was episode 68, to share her Phoenix Rising fan story. We loved hearing from Laura, so thank you Laura and if you, dear listener, would like to come on the show to share your fan story, let's schedule it. Send an email to thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com and we'll set it up. Listeners, thank you for joining us on the show today. Let's kick things off with a review of that Orange County game. This is Rick Shantz, the head coach of Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Friday, August 7th, Phoenix Rising traveled to California to play Orange County SC. This was the second time the teams faced off this season. The first time was a nail-biter here in Phoenix where the teams tied 2-all. The second meeting was not nearly as exciting and we saw our boys Phoenix Rising lose two goals to one. I'm delighted to welcome regular contributor Matt Robarts back to the show to discuss the game. But first, Kelly is with us to set the scene. Thanks, Niall. What can you say about this match that doesn't sound like you're a broken record? Per usual, this clash feels like a must win for Phoenix. And the truth is, it's a must win for Orange County too. These two teams are established rivals and teams that normally dominate the Western Conference. Neither are having the season they expected, and it's hard to explain how either club ended up here, near the bottom of the conference, 23 games into a 32-game season. Phoenix is starting to round out their form, still outside the playoffs by four points, but seemingly beginning to climb out of their season-long rut, which has been riddled with inconsistency and underperforming. As players have returned from injury, the starting defensive line has emerged, and they've solidified their place on the pitch by keeping the sheet clean for 455 minutes moving into this match. Now, the team has offensive options too, but the right combination is still far from locked. Coach Chance keeps rotating his forwards, looking for magic, but the closest he's come is with the recent acquisition, J.J. Williams. He didn't score against Las Vegas last weekend, but he's clearly a skilled target man, which Phoenix has been missing. 
Orange County, on the other hand, has no problem scoring, but has struggled to finish games. On four occasions, including the first match against Phoenix, they've dropped points by losing their lead after the 60th minute. They have the leading golden boot contender in Milan Ilosky with 16 goals on the season, but the defense has let him and the team down by conceding late goals. With goalkeeper Patrick Rakowski back from injury, OCSC will be looking to dominate both ends of the pitch for the full 90. Now, these rivals have met at Championship Soccer Stadium nine times since 2017, and the results are mixed. Four draws, three wins for OC, and two wins for Phoenix. The setting in this case matters, as Orange County are not only playing to keep their season alive, but they're also playing for their stadium. They want to prove their worthiness to give their home crowd a reason to come back for more games featuring Orange County. A big win over their rivals will help them keep their heads up for another week despite the drama surrounding their season. As we've been saying week over week over week, Phoenix sure needs to focus. Great stuff. Thank you, Kelly. Matt, how are you feeling going into this game? Yeah, I think going into this game, you had to be um, kind of on the fence. I mean, there was, I think, that nervous energy of, you know, we had a good performance against Colorado. Uh, we came out and kind of looked a little sluggish against Vegas the week before. But you're going into a struggling Orange County side last in the West. Um, and so you're thinking, okay, maybe we can get something on the road here. We've kind of maybe seen a swing uptick in a momentum, especially since JJ Williams has come on. So I, I was pretty confident going into it. Um, as far as us getting a good result, whether that was a draw on the road or, or even scraping by with a, a win. Right. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, let's take a look at the, the highlights, but before we do, we'll, we'll look at the starting 11. So Ben Lunt was in goal, right fullback, Joey Calistri, left fullback, Darnell King, centre-back pairings, Joey Farrell and James Musa. In the midfield, we had Kev Lambert, Louis Sejas, Aidan Quinn, and up front on the left, we had Santi Moore. On the right, we had Cozy Donaciano, and up front, we had our number 99, JJ Williams. So the only change there was Iracozi Donaciano playing um, up front on the right wing. What did you think of this startup, Matt? You know, it was kind of interesting. Um, I, I can't rec recall how many times we've seen a consistent starting 11 this year from Rick Schantz, uh, but a couple surprises, I think, in this one is Joey Calistri just starting uh, on the back line. He's not a, a fullback by by trade, uh, he came into this side very much as a winger. Um, he's had to deputize back there a couple times, but we have healthy fullbacks uh, on the bench and really not even in the squad. So for for them not to get a start seemed a little strange. And then Iracozzi, um Donaciano starting on the wing was, was weird. He's primarily played central midfield. So that kind of seemed like he was out of position. And again, when you had a guy like Babakar Jai who really played well, out on the wing the last couple of games, or you had a Greg Hurst who's, who's played well, he's sitting on the bench or even a Richmond Antwi sitting on the bench. That just seemed like a, an unusual decision for Sean's. Yeah, for sure. And after we get through this game, we'll, we'll come back and we'll reflect to see how this um, formation actually worked. 
So let's jump into to the first half and some of the highlights. It took a minute for the team to settle into the game. Phoenix had a corner in the 10th minute. Joey Farrell got his head to it, but missed. Two minutes later, Eric Torres got ahead on, to, on the Phoenix goal, but the ball hit the crossbar. It was a close one. A lot of back and forth until about the 15th minute when momentum went to Orange County. They had a couple of attempts on goal, and then in the 20th minute, Alaski received the ball on the left wing and runs into the 18-yard box, cutting in front of the defender, Joey Calistri, who tripped himself up in the process. Elaski held the ball for a couple of seconds with Phoenix's center back, Joey Farrell, standing firm in front of him. Elaski moved to his right, took a shot that sent the ball past Joey Farrell and into the bottom left corner of the goal. A clinical finishing by Elaski. Matt, um, Milan Olaski is clearly a gifted player. Is there anything that we could have done better in that situation? Yeah, unfortunately, I think there is. Um, one, Kalistri was just getting picked on, on all night, and, and we never really seemed to address that issue. Um, he was just outmatched uh, on the right side there um, with speed, with pace, with really just intelligence in reading the game. And they they really drew him in and then played it out wide. And he got beat. He kind of trips himself off. And then Farrell slides over, but he played Olaski to his strong foot. And so there had to have been discussions, especially when this guy's leading goal scorer in the league, you know, force him outside, at least push him onto that weaker foot. Joey just kind of gave him that opportunity to take the touch to his, his right and to unleash the shot. Um, and so I, I think it was just kind of some poor defending all around it. And you got to feel for a guy like Ben Lunt, um, who's just been making all sorts of saves this year. Um, the goals he has conceded, it's, it's almost like his defense lets him down. I think they let him down on this one. I agree. Matt, in the 23rd minute, which is just three minutes later, right fullback, Joey Kalistri had the ball in the right wing. He passed the ball back to Joey Farrell, who was in Orange County's half. Farrell dribbled forward and crossed the ball to the right side of the area, to the left side of the area, I should say, to Santi Moore. Moore trapped the ball and quickly played it to the center of the box, aiming for J.J. Williams. One of the OC defenders tried to intercept, got a foot to the ball, couldn't control it, and essentially laid it on for J.J. Williams, who calmly tapped the ball into the bottom right-hand corner. So, Matt, that's two goals in three games from J.J. Williams. That wasn't a spectacular goal, but he had to focused he was focused and i think that's what we got we got a player that is well able to play in tight situations that's quick in the box and certainly has made an impact for us yeah you have a, a forward that scores goals um <laughs> it, it, it wasn't the best finish i mean it wasn't the best looking goal it, it it had a lot of luck to it i mean for the ball to deflect off the oc center back's boot and then just to kind of drop dead at Williams feet. And he just turned and calmly passed the ball into the back of the net. And he did what a striker needs to do. And that's to be calm and composed in that situation where, you know, some, a lot of guys might've had a big eyes in that moment and, you know, tried to unleash all the power in the world on that ball and blasted it right at the keeper. He, he kind of, you could see him almost take a breath and it almost like the game stopped for him and he just passed it into the side net. Um, and it, so it was good. We needed a little bit of luck in that moment. Uh, JJ Williams is, is looking to be a great addition and, and it makes you wonder where we would be at in this season. Had we had a guy like JJ Williams from day one, had we had that, 
uh, striker, that number nine that he, he is. Absolutely. Matt, from there to the end of the half, we saw promising shots on goal, but they all came from Orange County, from Brent Richards, from Eric Torres, from Milan Lasky. We had just one minute of stoppage time. So into the halftime, it's one all. So what are your thoughts on that first half? Yeah, I mean, uh, not an exhilarating first half of play by either team. Um, Not a crisp game of football from either team. It was very sloppy. It was end to end. It was almost chaotic uh, in a lot of places. Um, but it, it seemed like one team had really showed up to, to fight. And that, that was Orange County. Uh, I think I can recall a couple of times, even the commentators making mention of you're at this point in the season where you need to start winning games. Um, and so you need those players to step up and you need to have that leadership and that fight in the team. And we're, we're still waiting on that guy. And I think that's what's scary for a lot of us as Phoenix rising supporters is, all right, who's that guy now that, um, Solo's gone, you know, now that you see some of those other guys that have been around, they've kind of stepped out of the the scene. Where's this fight coming from? Who's going to be that spark? Um, And we're just missing it at this moment. And so at halftime, you're kind of sitting there thinking, I think we're thankful to be only down or to be tied at one, one, we, we could have been down in that game if it wasn't for Ben Lunt. And I think you're also thinking to yourself, but like, what is going to happen? You look at the bench and you go, all right, who's the guy that's going to come on and make a difference? And really you look at that bench and it's, and it's Jai, right? It's, it's the fullback who's, who's been our best really attacking player the last couple of games. Um, so I think there's just that moment of like, ah, oh, this could go one of either way. And, and for me, I, I just kind of in the back of my head, it's, I said, it's not going to end one, one, um, this game is going to be, be, be a little bit, um, suspenseful for us. Yeah, for sure. And Jai did come on, but not soon enough. In the first 10 minutes of the second half, OC were on the attack. Shots from Eric Torres and Milan Lasky again in the 62nd minute. Milan Lasky received the ball on the left side of the park, 20 yards out from the Phoenix goal. Three Phoenix players stand flat-footed in front of him while he pauses to weigh up his options. He sends the ball to his right, and as the ball gets passed around, he makes a run into the box. His teammate, Dylan Powers, sends the ball up and over the Phoenix defense, to the chest of the incoming Milan Lasky. He brings it down and on the half volley, blasts it into the Phoenix goal. Wow, Matt, it was a tough one. Yeah, but as a football fan, I think you have to sit there and watch that play and go, I mean, that's it. That's that's soccer. I mean, that's, that's brilliant play. That's uh, movement off the ball. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a, passage of, of play in a game that if you're a coach, you show your players and say, look at the way, I mean, Alaski holds the ball up. I think that's what causes Phoenix to kind of be content with their positioning. Dylan powers is there he plays in that ball, but he doesn't, Alaski doesn't stop. And, and he makes this perfect diagonal run and he times it just right. So when that ball is just dinked over the top, he's still on side and you see, because he kind of paused there in the game and the, the back four kind of set up flat foot that they had no idea what was going on. Joey, if you watch the replay, he kind of, he, he kind of thinks to himself, 
Calistri that is, he kind of thinks, should I keep going with them or do I stop? Do it's almost like there was no communication between Calistri and Farrell in that moment. And Olaski just found the space and exploited it. And Dylan powers just put in a, a great little dink pass over the top and what a touch, what a finish. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, Luis Sejas would come off being replaced by Arturo Rodriguez just after that in the 62nd minute. And Santi Moore would come off and Babacar Jai would come on. In the 65th minute, there was a corner. James Musa went up for the header. It came, it came close, but it didn't make it. In the 66th minute, we saw shots from we saw a shot from uh, OC's Kevin Partida, followed by another shot from Milan Olaski, followed by a header from Brent Richards. Then onto the 75th minute, Arturo Rodriguez, he takes a shot, a right-footed shot from the left side of the box, but it's blocked. Matt, we've basically got 10 minutes to go. How are you feeling? I mean, not good. I mean, Phoenix just had nothing going for it. And you kind of touched on this when you mentioned, uh, I mean, some of the stats in this game, you know, with we had five shots in total. Yeah, in the whole absolutely. Game. One, one on target. Yeah. And that was the goal. Yeah. I mean, this is a Phoenix team that was known in years past for just the, the outrageous amount of shots we would get in the game. And we have five and we need a goal. Like it, with 10 minutes left, I think you're just thinking to yourself, man, let's just get out of this at two, one and kind of regroup for these next two weeks and, and maybe something will happen. But yeah, it's, it's not a good feeling when your team's just struggling that bad. There was one more attempt and it came from one of the subs. None, none of the, the subs that I've mentioned so far, it's Marcus Verkranis. He's on for Joey Farrell. So he's a fullback and he was in the center of the box and he took a shot and it went off to the right. But that would have been a beautiful moment if we had tied and that was five minutes into stoppage time so then the game ends and it's 2-1 to orange county so matt let's take a look at each third of the field and see how the players did so how did our defenders do on the night i mean they're weak you know this is this is a weak um game for them you know especially when you're looking at the calistri feral side of things um, again, I got to reiterate the fact that I, I don't know what uh, we, none of us watch training. So it's hard to sit back as spectators, as supporters, as commentators, whatever you want to say, pundits, and, and just all we can talk about is what we see on the field. And when you see a guy like Kalistri, who, who let's be honest, Kalistri has made some exciting moments for this club in years past. I think when he he eventually leaves this club, as every player is going to at some point, uh, he's going to be thought of highly by the supporters. They're going to remember with fondness some of those goals he scored. I mean, the, the coming off the bench and scoring two against New Mexico United in New Mexico to earn a draw on a road in a crazy place. Like, I mean, he scored some great goals. But you just got to ask shots. Why is he on the back line? You have Babacar and Jai, who's that's his position. You have Ryan Flood, whom we haven't seen since he picked up a red card. You have Marcus, who we just got, a youth, uh, U.S. Youth International player who plays on the back line. We have these options. Why are we going with a guy like Kalistri, who's who just looked out of his depth uh, on the night? 
Um, and clearly there's just something not clicking between him and Farrell. I think we saw that on the second goal. So uh, the back line just, um, it did not have a good night. And, and again, you got to feel bad for a guy like Ben Loon, who's one of the best keepers in this league, um, has the most saves out of any keeper in the, in the league. Now he's faced probably more shots than any keeper, but still, I mean, you got to feel bad for him. So it's just not a good night for them overall. Yeah. And of course, um, Ben Loon, he, he did well. He did definitely have some important saves yeah. in this game too. How about the midfield? Kev Lambert, Lee Sejas, Aiden Quinn. You know what? I think for me in this game, it was almost just, they were almost invisible through a lot of this. Um, I think Luis Sejas is, is a better spark coming off the bench than he is playing a full game. Um, you know, you look, Kevin Lambert's just, I mean, he is kind of the heart and soul of that midfield. And then Quinn had a very forgettable game. Um, so overall, I mean, you know, if you're giving grades here, you'd have to say the back lines, maybe a, a D minus. Uh, I would say this this midfield is, you know, maybe a little bit better at a C, C plus in the game. But I think a lot of that's just because they were very non-existent. Again, like I, I don't remember anything that stood out um, for me yeah. in the game. I think Sejas had a particularly bad game. And mm. uh, I, I think that he should have been pulled off early in, yeah. in the, the first half even. Well, yeah, How you about- saw as, as soon as Arturo Rodriguez and, and Barbacar and Jai come on, just kind of the 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 way the game just changed and you put denanciano back in the center of the midfield um and and it just flowed a lot better it looked a lot more connected um moving from that midfield to the forwards um so yeah i agree i, I think sejas just he just didn't have a good game yeah and then looking at the forwards um cozy denanciano I didn't see him make an impact there. I think he's, he, I can't see no. us playing him up there again. Um, so talk, go ahead and, and talk through those. Um, it was yeah. Cozy Danasiano, JJ Williams, and Santi Moore. Yeah, Danasiano, I think we've touched on this. He's a midfielder. Uh, he's a central midfielder. Anytime you try to move those guys out to the wing, they tend to want to get sucked into the field. And then you're losing that width on the, on the side, right? Yeah. Um, JJ Williams, I thought looked good. You know, he hustles, he runs, um, he's, he's willing to fight. He's willing to make runs for the ball. He's just not getting enough service at this moment. And then I think for all of us as, as Phoenix rising supporters, kind of the disappointment of this year is Santi Moar. Um, you know, I think he has what one goal and one assist and that assist mm-hmm. came in this game. Um, so one goal, one assist on the year is just not good enough. And, and I was thinking through this, I was talking through it with a friend, Santi Moar needs someone on the opposite side of him that is just as much as a threat. So the past couple of years, he's had Solo. And when you have a guy like Solo on one side and Moar on the other, you have to prioritize defending both of them. And that opens up Moar to cut in on his, uh, you know, cut into the field and to take the shot and to create. When you're missing that threat on the other side, you can now just focus all your attention on Moar. And I think that's where he's really struggled this year is he doesn't have someone over there. And we've tried Denanciano, we've tried Njai, we've tried Hurst, we've tried uh, Ants. I mean, we've tried all these different guys and it's just not working yet. And I think probably Njai is the best bet going forward, honestly. Um, The last couple of games against Vegas and against Colorado, he looked dangerous on that outside. He's willing to run at players and, and to create 
And so maybe that helped out more, but you can see he's a guy that's just struggling for form. And again, for us as, as Phoenix rising supporters, it's just rough to see. Yeah. Before we leave it, the, the subs, um, Rodriguez and Jai came on the 62nd minute. Um, they played well, but didn't obviously didn't make it an impact as far as the outcome of the game. We saw Greg Hurst come on for Darnell King in the 82nd minute. That was an un- unusual substitution. Yeah. Again, I, I that's it, it's just tough watching at some points because you're chasing a goal. You're in the 82nd minute. And I thought King had played well. And King's a threat going forward. If you got to make that change, you almost want to bring out one of your center backs in my mind. You get into this point of the game and it's almost just this is Shantz throwing everything at him, just saying what we can do. And and it just didn't seem thought out. So, well, Greg Hurst coming on, I, I can see as an attacking option. Joey Farrell is a one-for-one one with Marcus Fercranus. So that, that was in the 82nd minute. And Fercranus actually looked good, both in the defense and, and as an attacker. Yeah, he, I mean, the, the kid's got talent. Yeah. You know, you don't play at the U.S. international level for the youth team. Um, if, if you don't have talent and I'm surprised we have waited this long to see him make an appearance um, for Phoenix rising. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see big things from him in, in the coming weeks. So let's round it up, Matt. What about some standouts? Um, was, was there anything that gave you hope from what you saw on Friday night? Yeah, I think you gotta be excited with what JJ Williams is doing. Um, Again, just the the calmness he had in front of goal in that moment for a guy his age, just coming into this team. This is his third game. Um, he looked composed. He looked uh, like he's he's the goal scorer we've been lacking since really since Adam Jean left. Um, you know, um, my mind just blanked on the the guy we had in after John, uh, who came from Germany. Um, yeah, but even he struggled at times. Dadashov, right? Even Dadashov struggled at times. So you got to be excited with JJ Williams, um, and and then you really got to be excited. I think with Ben Lunt, I think he's showing week after week why he's one of the best. And you know, hopefully we can keep him here next year. Um, I think he's one of those pieces that, uh, as kind of we throw out that dreaded word rebuild, um, he's one of those pieces you rebuild around. Great. So what are the what, what are your closing comments? I think you've given us a lot of takeaways from this game as far as the player positioning, as far as the, the performance, but overall closing comments for this. Yeah, uh, I wish it was something good, but we got we have two weeks off now, right? Our next mm-hmm. game is the 27th. So you want to see change, um, whether that's, you know, players getting opportunities that players haven't gotten before, whether that's a formation change, you know, whether that's maybe even some sort of coaching change, who knows, we need to see change at this point in the season. Um, And honestly, with two weeks off, uh, we need to come out and we need to win. Um, At this point, draws don't help us. Um, Losses obviously don't drop us, help us. But if we're going to make it for the playoffs, which is really the bare minimum, when you talk about Phoenix rising, you got to see a victory. Um, and I think uh, the coaching staff and I think the ownership group and Bobby need to really just use this two weeks wisely and get something going, get something done.
Okay, well, Matt, thank you for, for joining us. Phoenix Rising and OC are not scheduled to play again this season unless they see each other in the playoffs. Before we go, <laughs> Matt, I want to ask you, when you listen to podcasts, do you listen with a friend? Um, typically, I mean, if you count my kids as I'm driving them to school, <laughs> you know, I'll throw a podcast on in the car if me and my wife are going on to somewhere. So I guess, yeah, I could listen with friends. Kelly and I, we always listen to podcasts together and it's just so much more fun because yeah. we stop and we take our AirPods out and, you know, chat about what's being said. And we feel like we're more involved in it all when we do. Right. Anyway, yeah, um, go ahead. If you're listening with someone in the car when you're, you know, screaming at the host, then you don't look as crazy to the people in the other car. <laughs> exactly right. If you're having a heated conversation with the the podcast host. <laughs> exactly right. Matt, it's great having you on the show. Thank you for joining. Hey, thank you for uh, having me on, man. It's always a good time. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Next up is John Morrissey with his weekly segment on news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. John, it's great to have you back. How did things go in the USL Championship this week? Hey, Niall, happy to be back to discuss a really busy week of results. So to get right into it, we had Tulsa taking on Miami at midweek in a game between two of the teams on the playoff bubble in the East. And Tulsa got a 2-1 to win. Dario Suarez, a former Miami player in the NASL days, contributed a goal and an assist, and the result took Tulsa to within six points of their South Beach rivals. The West had two more games that night that saw the top two underperform a bit. Monterey took on San Diego. Uh, Monterey, the expansion side, came in with four wins in five games, put in a good shift, but San Diego ultimately got that one to nothing win, had a strong performance in goal from Coque Vegas. And then San Antonio hosted Loudoun United in I believe what was the first ever matchup between the two sides. And they struggled to a two to one win, uh, stronger than San Diego, I would say, but certainly out of character for the best team in the league on points. Friday had a triple header as well. The start there was um, Charleston Battery taking on New York Red Bulls too. Charleston had announced the loan signing of Avion Flanagan, an FC Cincinnati player who was with Orange County on loan last year, and he put was put right into the starting lineup in their 3-4-3 shape. Uh, they beat New York pretty handily. Aiden Apodaca had a brace. He's a player who's shown potential. He's on his fifth club in four years, but he's always been bright, so that was nice to see. Certainly the game of the day was Colorado Springs against El Paso. Within the first nine minutes, Haji Berry had two goals and Colorado Springs led three to nothing. El Paso settled down and credit to them for doing so after that point. Uh, they deepened one of their midfielders into a double pivot. They scored four goals unanswered. And then in the dying moments of the match, there were a series of controversial foul calls and then a controversial lack of a foul call that let Colorado Springs equalize for a four to four draw off a set piece. So crazy result there and the switchbacks really down bad defensively. Getting into the Saturday slate though, uh, at the middle bottom of the East, we had Hartford taking on Indy 11. A note for Indy that AOZ Garcia set the team appearance record with his 115th cap in an 11 kit, but Hartford got a two to one win. Danny Barrera, the club legend scored and it was their first victory since June 28th. 
Uh, we had another top of the East game, although we'll get to the one that overshadowed it. But Memphis beat Pittsburgh two to nothing, and nine hundred one jumped to second place in the East. Pittsburgh was maybe the better side, but just couldn't take their chances and create on a consistent basis there. Uh, Miami rebounded from the Tulsa loss to get a two to nothing win over Atlanta, and they really never struggled. Uh, they went up one nothing within the first ten minutes, and Atlanta had an early red card, so that was never going to be an upset. Uh, now Miami is up nine points over Tulsa, but they did pass a team, and that's Detroit City, who's down to the seventh place spot in the East, the last play, uh, team in. They really, in my estimation, were kind of dominated by the traveling Oakland roots, but the game ended in a one-to-one draw when uh, DCFC got a goal in the 88th minute. For Oakland, that's their 12th draw of the season, and no one else has more than nine, so that's a little bit incredible. Uh, but following that, we had the real meat of the schedule, the game of the night, Louisville taking on Tampa Bay, the two stalwarts of the Eastern Conference. Louisville hosted, they sold out uh, their crowd with nearly 15,000 people in the seats, and they put on a masterclass. Tampa Bay didn't get a single shot on target. Uh, the Louisville defensive 4-1-4-1 shape was really effective at denying everything Tampa does well. They maybe could have had more goals, but a one to nothing scoreline felt fair for a good Rowdy's defensive performance. But I think it was a statement win for Louisville City in extending their lead out in that conference. In terms of an interconference game, uh, Birmingham took on the San Diego Legion. And this really was another one of those surprising results of the week. Birmingham completely shut down the top scoring offense in the league to earn a one nothing victory. They tripled San Diego's shots on target. And in the process, uh, Birmingham ended a five-game winning streak for Loyal. So that really is going to have some ramifications, you would think, in how we should consider these uh, disparate clubs. San Antonio rebounded in much better form than Loyal did with a 2 to nothing win over Las Vegas. Mitchell Tainter, who's really their MVP-level center back, missed the game with a yellow card suspension, but didn't end up mattering, really. And if you go watch a goal from this week, find the highlights for the San Antonio game and see that Nicky Hernandez opening a strike from distance, really great, well-taken finish. So San Antonio, just to note, is up uh, seven points over San Diego with a game in hand in terms of the Western standings. And on the other side there, I didn't talk a ton about Las Vegas, but they continue to cling on to the seventh place spot in the West. Meanwhile, Monterey beat uh, Sacramento Republic one to nothing. Sacramento crucially was missing their talisman, Rodrigo Lopez. But Monterey now has, I believe, five wins and seven. And they're in the thick of the playoff race, just four, or four points out. Very good form, games in hand. Sunday saw New Mexico take on the LA Galaxy uh, too. The note for New Mexico this week was certainly the signing of Kavon Freider. He scored nearly 20 goals for the team in 2019. Um, star striker Nico Brett started the season nicely, but he's only got seven in 21 appearances. So adding that firepower is going to be big. And that was a fun game to wrap out the match week. Uh, LA, another team on the fringe of the playoffs there. And then two quick notes in terms of expansion. USL Rhode Island broke ground in anticipation of a 2024 start. So cool to see a team in and around Providence kind of competing with a Hartford Athletic. And maybe if we get Queensboro on the pitch at some point. And then in the negative sense, Jacksonville, a long rumored uh, USL championship market, seems to have eyes on MLS Next Pro. 
that would be the new formation of the Jacksonville Armada, a long-term NASL team that had a bit of controversy with their owner and his use of TV markets. So that should be something to track if you're interested in the bit of conflict we've been talking about recently between the USL and MLS apparatus. But that are, that is all I have for the week so far. Uh, a busy set of games, some fun headlines on and off the pitch, and just happy to be here talking about it. This is Teo Mackey from the Arizona Republic, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we don't have a game scheduled in week 24 of the USL Championship, but there are a slew of games that influence our chances of making the playoffs. To make it even more interesting, five of our rivals in the Western Conference have two games this week, so we know the standings could change dramatically this week and leave us with even more catching up to do. I'll be keeping an eye on all of the Western Conference games, but if I had to narrow it down to two games to watch, I'd watch OC host Las Vegas Lights on Wednesday, I'll be praying for a draw, and I'd watch El Paso host San Diego on Saturday. We play El Paso the following week, so it'll be good to see their approach to the game, given that their roster has changed significantly in recent weeks. Listening to episode 69 of the Fan Experience of Phoenix Rising FC Supporters Podcast. Huge thanks to Kelly McCarthy, John Morrissey, and Matt Robarts for joining me on the pod this week. If you haven't listened to Laura's Phoenix Rising fan story, it's a good one to check out. Guaranteed to make you smile. That was in episode 68. Next week, join us for episode 70, where we'll have a preview of the El Paso game, a rundown of everything that happened in the week, and most of all, I'm super excited to bring you a special segment about the Open Cup semi-final game where Sacramento Republic had a night to remember when they beat Sporting Kansas City. If anyone ever asks you why Phoenix Rising supporters are the best supporters in the world, here's your answer. It's because we shout, Go Rising, even when it's not a game week. Let's do it. Let everyone around you know who you love. I'll count us in. Three, two, one. Go Rising! Go Rising!